There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 388. And today in the show, I am joined by Tony Peterson and our Back 40 camera crew to discuss the challenges, trials, and tribulations of hunting the whitetail rut and how you can overcome those things and the story of my 2020 Back 40 buck. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today, we are talking the rut. As this episode is dropping, we are kind of right in the midst of it for people listening. I think this is going to drop on November 12th. So if you're listening on November 12th, and if you're a whitetail junkie like I am and the guys with me are, I'm sure you've been spending a lot of days in the woods I'm sure you've hopefully had some exciting days, but probably some frustrating ones too. And that's kind of what I want us to focus on today is the the side of the whitetail rut that you don't always hear about in the off season. In the off season, we talk about, oh, it's the Super Bowl of the deer hunting season. Oh, it's the time when dreams come true. It's it's everything you dream of as a whitetail hunter. And then it gets here. And sometimes it can be like that, but sometimes it's something different. There are trials and tribulations. There are many things that can be frustrating. There are many times when you're sitting there and you're thinking, this is not the way they uh, talk it up to be. So that's what I want to cover, is how to deal with the challenges that the whitetail rut can throw you. With me, I've got the crew that has been with me hunting on the back 40 over the last week. To my left, I've got Mr. Tony Peterson. Tony, Howdy, buddy. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for hunting with us. <laughs> Coming over to Michigan, <laughs> leaving the promised land of places like Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, and coming here to the Mitten State. I think uh, maybe your buddy Dan Johnson and I will start a support group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he came here. You guys have had a very similar experience. Yeah. Don't let's not let's not t- talk too much about your experience yet. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. It's Michigan. Well, we'll dive into that in a second. So Tony's here, and Tony, as everyone listening should know, is an incredibly experienced, successful DIY bow hunter, travels the country, hunts a lot of public land, hunts a lot of 
kills a lot of great bucks and uh, is a contributor to Mediator, a writer, a podcaster. And uh, he has joined me as my partner in crime hunting the farm this year for one of our episodes of the Back 40 Show. Uh, to the left of him is one of our cameramen extraordinaire who's taken off his shoes in the middle of the podcast, <laughs> making a lot of noise. <laughs> Charlie, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, man, how are you? <laughs> My feet were hot. We're sitting in a wall tent. Yeah, and it's getting baking very in warm. the sun. It is getting really warm now. Um, can, can I interject here for a second? Yeah. <laughs> so this guy's my camera guy, and if you think it's awkward when he does that stuff, you should sit in a tree with him all day. <laughs> His timing is wild. I am not surprised to hear that at all. Can you give me one example of a, of a Charlieism uh, that you've seen in the tree? I've seen. Uh, <laughs> Well, so can he talk about that stuff? On yeah, here? yeah, that this might be R-rated. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it has been a uh, a wild experience sitting with Charlie. We have figured out uh, all all kinds of conspiracy theories. We've figured oh. out aliens. We've figured out uh, different stuff about psychic behaviors. The thing with Charlie is is he just has these random thoughts that come up into his head and he can't keep them inside. So all of a sudden, you know what I was thinking about? You know, I had this dream the other day and I woke up and <laughs> the things that pop out of his mouth are always so, shocking. This morning he told me about he had a stint where he had six months of werewolf dreams in a row. <laughs> <laughs> when Charlie starts talking, I just always look at your face. <laughs> it's always gold. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we keep it interesting here. Next in line, we've got Justin. And I always say his last name wrong. Michau. Nope. Michau. M- Michau. <laughs> Michau. Dang. That's okay. <laughs> At this point. Sorry, Justin. <clears throat> no, it's fine. Justin is the guy that has been stuck following me around the woods, filming, photographing, being a general trooper, mm-hmm. um, dealing with all my manic uh, OCD strange things I do in the woods. What's one strange thing I do? I uh, won't, you won't be fired. You won't be criticized. You can, this is the trust. Shouldn't have to think that hard. <laughs> this yeah. is the trust tree. Oh, man. Uh, I just, I think there's a, a level of being on edge that I'm always on. So I try to think one step ahead of Mark. Like the other day, I was like, I really wanted to eat my breakfast, but I knew it had a wrapper. Like so, a loud cellophane wrapper. Yeah, and so I was like, Mark, um, isn't it time to first snack or something? He's like, yeah, you're right. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so what he did is he wanted a snack, but he knew that if he started unwrapping the snack with me, he was worried. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mark has, here's, here's a, it's not a weird thing, but it is a, I've now sat with him quite a few times, even with his dad, and I have these immediate reactions to, I know, like, I just know that if anything goes wrong, he is going to go to like level 10. So, uh, <laughs> so I was just always like, oh man, if a, a camera lens or something clicks, I'm like, Oof. so there's a level of anxiety that has now passed. Now, hold on. <laughs> what do you say? I go to level 10. What do I do? Like, what is level 10 for me? Uh, I just know that you're swearing without talking but it's always in my head it's, yeah, I, yeah, I never yeah. verbalize no it. you don't it's, it's obvious though <laughs> unless we're with your dad <laughs> yeah oh I'm just a perfectionist no I'm, I'm with just, you man 
I'm, I'm with just you. a perfectionist. But if and I said this to you the other day, I was like, to make you feel, if, if it makes you feel any better, I am cussing at myself when I make mistakes too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we've had that. Yeah, a few we'll, of those we'll, that we'll we're going to save. We'll have to tell that story eventually. Here. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, we're here in the back forty, and what I wanted to do was was use the story of what we're doing here and how the hunts have been going to illustrate some of these rut challenges. So I'm hoping this can be kind of a story podcast a little bit, but really it's a how-to podcast. We're going to talk you through how to handle some of these things uh, and just and just kind of share our story along the way that's going to blend it all together. And I will give you the, the teaser here, the fact that we have had some success here in the back 40. A deer has been shot during the rut, and I want to tell that story too. So back 40 whitetail rut our hunt started on november 7th and on november 7th we have had both the for the three or four days leading up to that and now the three or four days since then really hot unseasonably warm miserable weather for the rut uh and that has been something that a lot of people all across the country have been dealing with right now dealing with hot weather in the rut uh tony what are your thoughts on that when it comes to gosh sorry guys you're gonna hear wind it's very windy we're recording in a wall tent on the property so work with us here. <laughs> Hot weather during the rut, Tony. What are your thoughts? Uh, <clears throat> specifically on this property, my thought was, I wish, I wish that you had spent less time on bees and more time on building ponds. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because there's no water to be found here, and it has been hot. Yeah. It has been an early morning kind of deal with the deer, and then you just feel that sun at like 10 o'clock, and it just feels like it's over. Yeah. And it, it feels like it's, it's the kind of heat that really will shut down the cruising. You know, we always say, oh, the rut will trump everything, but this is like extreme. And it's, you know, it's at least bared out from what we saw. It really, yeah. really got tough in the middle of the day. But it's, you know, I, I look at this like the, the bad winter thing. If you hunt, you know, up in the UP or northern, northern Minnesota, wherever, it's like uh, when the bad winter comes, everybody's like, oh my God, this is the worst one ever. But you get them like every five years right you know and, and so i was thinking about this like these hot ruts in 2016 it was ridiculously hot you know i remember hunting down in nebraska and it was the same kind of weather pattern where it was just brutal and you know, it was only a couple of years ago and it, yeah. so this stuff happens so you just got to kind of you don't you know you don't want it like this is not ideal but it's coming like you keep hunting the next five years you might hit another one of these right. so it's just it just is what it is so what do you do though so when you when when you saw this in the forecast and you're thinking through how we'd approach it do you approach things any differently when you've got four or five days of 75 degree temps or whatever? Well, when you're on a, when you're on a small property, it's just time on stand. You know, I mean, it's kind of the same pattern you go, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta get the hours in. And if I see something actionable, it's time to move, you know, but it's just a, a lot of this is a mental thing. You know, it's so much easier to sit all day when there's a cruiser every couple hours and it feels right, this is, this is between your ears, this stuff. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And it's easy to get so down about it that you lose that sense of readiness at times. It's so hot. There's no way anything's going to happen. It's 10 o'clock and it's already 70 degrees and it's really easy to think, uh, not, not today, but if it's in those moments, typically when you lose your focus and you start looking at your phone or thinking about when do I get out of here, that something does come through. Now, now all that said, though, I still, like you said, it does seem like once you get to the middle of the day, it's shut down. And so I have not felt like we need to hunt all day because yeah. of that. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it, we were just 
talking right right off air here about how we all kind of drove the same spot to go get lunch and there's random does bedded in the middle of a wide open cut bean field today and you see that and you go it just makes me think they're getting chased all night long or they're getting chased in the the cover and so they're just bedding like you'd see them in you know january when it's one of those really arctic fronts comes in mm-hmm. and you see them right in the food source we saw that today and it's like we haven't seen that all week like right. there's still things going on and things changing and it's just it's just one of those things you deal with i mean i, I think about this with you kind of the current state of whitetail hunting in a lot of ways is to try to create this a spot that, where it wouldn't matter you know what i mean like you got the food plot you got the cover you got the pond built that wouldn't if you were hunting that situation it wouldn't matter but you take a step back from that you don't have that then you go okay now i got to deal with this right and what do i do and it's like well you can look at the forecast and sit it out but you know if you're sitting out like november 7th 8th 9th like you're still missing out and we had great mornings i mean it was mm-hmm. still it was still absolutely worth going it just wasn't like the ideal situation as good as it could have been yeah. but still pretty darn good yeah definitely um and okay so but, but here's something that you have we have talked about we have like a seven day window and typically November 7th, November, November 8th, I would be typically thinking I'm going into my best stuff, my best rut spots now, but because of how warm it was, we have not necessarily gone into all of our best spots yet because we've got a cold front that was hitting on day five. So we have had some discussion around hunting some stuff that we maybe wouldn't otherwise in order to preserve some better spots or areas once the cold front hits. Can you walk me through some of your calculus on that, Tony? Because that's, it's a little bit of a hard one because like we said, you still can get the great rut action first thing in the morning or late at night. So is it worth sacrificing that? I mean, I've waffled on that a little bit myself this week. Yeah. I mean, what, what we haven't touched on about that is when you get a weather pattern like we've had, we've been, we've been dealing with south winds the whole time. And so when you, you know, this, obviously this is so variable by property, but here that shut down an awful lot of options. And, you know, the, the kind of the main swamp on this farm that's really that little microclimate, a cooler area and thicker cover, that south wind make you know, it's kind of a no-go zone. Yeah. And so you're sitting here playing around with other areas and going every single day, all day long, we get in there and the wind's the same direction. And so you kind of think, well, if it were... If you had winds to deal with, at least diving into the, some of that stuff on the seventh, eighth would have been worth it. You're saying we, if the wind worked for it, yeah, but it just doesn't. We yeah, we didn't have that here, and it, that's something. You know, it's like kind of kind of like parallels this rut thought process, where like the rut's going to save me, it's going to send a buck by me. We're as deer hunters, we're like these eternal optimists, and we go, okay, this is going to be the day, or this is going to be the time, or I hung this stand and it is freaking perfect. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the forecast and the wind's wrong. Or you look at the forecast and the wind's right and you get out there and the wind's wrong. That's the worst. <laughs> and, you know, I, I keep thinking about that this year, just how different, if I walk 100 yards or I climb a bluff, what the wind's supposed to be doing and what it's actually doing in that little spot I'm at is so vastly different. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, it's this dumb lesson you learn over and over and over and over again. And so we've we've dealt with that here too is... Just, okay, what's what's the wind really going to give us? And it's been pretty stingy so far. Yeah. Yeah, we, I never anticipated straight southwest or south winds for our rut trip. So we really don't have much <laughs> set up for that. Yeah. We had to go in and hang new things and kind of figure it out as we went. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah. You just have to roll with it. Uh, so let's talk through our setups for these first few days then that we did try to um, make work here. 
so I want to talk about what we did here, but then I also would be curious to think of hear about what you would do on a place not like this, but if you were somewhere where you had hundreds or thousands of acres of public land and hot weather. But let's get to that in a second. First, first night here, um, what we did for first morning, we simply looked at, is there anywhere we could hunt with a Southeast wind on a small property? And this is a 64 acre property, one big chunk of cover in the middle. The rest is these wide open fields and fence rows. There's some food plots. There's the improvements we've tried to make to the fields that have helped a little bit, but they're still, you know, fields. Um, so relatively limited in certain ways. Uh, I think the first morning it was kind of get somewhere that we know we can be safe with that wind and observe and kind of put us in a position to get reset up with new spots for the evening. Would you, uh, yeah. agree with that general sentiment when we started? The first morning was a sandbagger. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't hunt the worst places. Um, I mean, I sat at the corner stand where the, where one of our fields cuts into the swamp and then the honey hole ridge drops down into that corner. And so there's a little bit of a pinch. If anything wanted to be along the edge of that swamp, they basically had to come through that little juncture there. And that is where I killed the wide ape from. He actually came out of the field, came out of the honey hole, crossed the field, and I grunted him down. Um, but we didn't see much at all. I saw five does all the way across on the other hillside. Um, and you saw a couple does. Yeah. So something pretty similar. Yep. Then midday that day, we both decided to move somewhere else. Um, walk me through your thought process when you're picking that spot. Um, well, we, I was looking at just, uh, getting into a situation where we could see where the does that we saw in the morning, kind of where they were originating from, where they were going. And you've got this, this property is, there's a lot of visible stuff from it. So it's like, I, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I felt like hunting the back 40 was like going to the strip club. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, Where is this going? You, oh boy. Like you can look, but you can't touch. <laughs> and so you just keep, like, we're sitting here and we're like, oh, there's a corn field there we can see. And there's a bean uh -huh. field there we can see. And so you're just playing like, okay, are they coming and going? And yeah. you're, and really what, what it ended up being, at least what I think I saw this week was if it was cover, it was good. And if it was open, it was bad. Yeah. Just generally. And so that first night we, you know, we're just looking like, okay, where can we kind of observe and start moving in? And the spot we picked to look over that cornfield was the wind was terrible. And so we just backed off into that corner, the, the far corner of the property thinking, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a swamp behind that, you know, and there's, there's one ridge you can see on one side, kind of a ridge leading in on the other, and it just sort of looked like a hub. Yep. And so that's, that was the place that I ended up at that night, and I've sat there more than I've probably sat any stand in my life. <laughs> and it is now pulled and done, and it treated, it treated me really well in the, in the mornings and not well in the evenings. So, so what did you end up seeing? Uh, Doze and Little Bucks. I know I made a comment this morning when we were filming that I'm not a name them guy. Like I, I know you name lots of stuff and yep. spots and deer, and I uh, named that place the nursery <laughs> because, <laughs> because it was if there was you'd hear that ch -ch -ch coming and you're like oh that's a buck and you'd look and it would be a you know the Michigan eleven pointer uh -huh. with little pencils on his head or some kind of scrapper and it just we never it never became anything else. And so it was every morning that we hunted there, it was at least one or two encounters with bucks and they were all scrappers. Yep. And you just, you just go, okay, this is, this just isn't it. Yep. You know, like you'd think, ah, oh, man, you see them cruise through like this, like a little one does it, a big one could do it. And it just never materialized. Yep. It's one of those things though, 
We certainly could. Yeah. I mean, we've got pictures of the big bucks coming through that low spot right beneath where you're at, coming past that camera yeah. relatively recently. But yeah, yeah right now, so yeah. it wasn't happening. It's it's a weird one thing that I thought was really weird about that spot because I, I spent so much time there was there was very consistent deer and very inconsistent movement. You know, you'd hmm. sit there one day and the, and the wind never changed. So, and the conditions didn't really change a whole yep. lot. So you don't, I, I kind of don't give that a whole lot of credit for being the reason for it. I don't know what the reason was, but you know, one day there's like, you know, a dozen deer come from behind us and pass by. And then another day the bucks all cruise through one spot and it was never like where I, how I set up this morning, I was like, they never come down the way I planned when I when I hung this thing, mm-hmm. they're always doing something different. And then three deer come right down the way that I was like, what what happened in the last four days? <laughs> like, nobody could do this before, and now you're doing it. It just it was weird, and I, I don't know what's going on. Huh. You know, it's 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 funny you mentioned that. I've this rut too thought a lot. I've been chasing my tail on this other buck. I've been hunting on some other spots, Tran, and I was trying to chase him around based on observations and things and historical patterns and all this. And then finally, by the end of this period I'd been hunting him, I started saying, okay, you know, I'm going to try a different tact. I'm going to stop chasing something I think I can put my finger on. And instead, I'm going to double down on the randomness and find a spot where the highest percentage of activity with him has been, and I will wait till he returns there. Instead of trying to go where I think he's going to be next, I'm going to go where eventually he's going to go when I have the right wind and wait it there until he does hasn't worked out yet, but that was the idea of the last day or two of the hunt before I came here. Uh, and that's what I'm going to return to when I get back. Um, but you know, oddly enough and kind of to piggyback on that is like, it's been hot. We've known like that probably there's not gonna be a lot of cruising during the middle of the day, but we knew like those like first hour or two in the morning and the evening was going to be like our, like our, our moments for these first hot days. But nothing replaces like getting eyes on things. And I think if nothing else, we like, none of us have hunted this property a lot. I mean, this is only your second year. Right. And, but even sitting, still being in the stand and getting eyes on things. I mean, I think we had honed in on taking what we saw in August and then taking, or not August, but when we were here with your dad, and then our sit couple sits the other day, like there was obviously some pattern that we figured out that we ended up sitting once and it didn't work out. But like now I feel like, like nothing replaces, like Tony said, time on stand. And yeah. if, if you had this place for another three or four years, like you're still adding and like to your library of like, now this is what I saw them do last year. Yeah. And even though it's the rut, like we know, like, we need to find the does and we've found the does. So yep. it didn't, in the end, it, it, for you and I, didn't help us capitalize, but for these guys, like depending on where. Still could. Yeah. And I still think, I mean, it helped us still to a degree. So, you know, kind of along the lines of what you just described when it came to our first evening, I wanted to be somewhere where I could see and for an evening hunt, I knew it'd be like a last part of the day, mm-hmm. kind of evening type of setup. So where would we have our best chance during that last cool hour of the day? Well, it's going to be looking at the best food source we have around here. That's where the most does would be during the rut. Usually, if you can be where the most does are, you're at least in the game, was my thought for the starting point. So I sat a stand that we hung last year that sits 
in one of our fence rows that runs between field five and six, right kind of at the point of where our bedding honey hole area is. And the last hour, it was really slow all the way to the last hour. And then some does started coming out. We had five or six does come across and then several does from behind and several does came popping out from this little western part of the honey hole crossing into the field and then finally i think it was justin who saw it first he said big buck big buck it was a buck ran out of there chasing a doe and i pulled up my binos and it was the drop time buck that little droppy buck we've been talking about that you and i saw on trail camera for the first time this summer who we saw justin when you and i were sitting with my dad on the very first hunt of the year he came out that night well here he comes again chasing that doe and he runs out of the field stops and feeds a bit then turns and goes back with the doe and runs back out and now we're getting to like the last 10 minutes the last five minutes and we're down to a couple minutes left of daylight and he follows the doe out and gets to right in one of my main shooting lanes where where this these, these oak tree branches open up and i could shoot and he's on in the food plot he stops broadside starts to feed 55 yards and he's sitting right there and i'm like oh, he is right there but just I wasn't, I'm not the type that'll shoot that long of a shot. Um, so we just watched him and then he turned and went back and then they ran back in the brush and then there was crashing and a deer ran right to the bottom of our tree stand, right where there's a path cut between the two fields. I was like, oh man, if that's the doe. He's gonna be right behind her. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be a gimme shot. But instead it was a little six point or something. And that was the night we saw, you know, the draft time buck was one of our target bucks here. Um, one of the most frequent visitors on camera, We'd seen him more than any other buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's great to see him. Great to know he's in the area. Great to see the number of does we saw. I think the biggest thing that confirmed for us, what I had worried coming into this a little bit was, will we have the lack of deer movement that we had last November? Like just doe activity in general. Last year was just so few deer at all. Um, in the early season when we were here with my dad, we saw a lot of deer, but I still don't know the farm well enough to know, you know, is that a thing that's going to keep happening to the changes that we made this year? Is that going to continue to help or are we going to get here in November and it's going to be dead again? So after our first morning, it was pretty slow. I was starting to think, Oh boy, we're back into uh, 2019 all over again. But no, we saw, I don't know, 12, 13 does and a couple different bucks, including a good one. So that was encouraging. Um, but something I was thinking about as you described your setup and as I was thinking through this setup, and you mentioned the importance of getting eyes on things. A challenge that we have here is the limitations of just the property size. Like you just said, you can look, but you can't touch a lot of stuff. A lot of things we've seen or would want to hunt, you just can't. We're stuck with these few limiting factors. And this is a challenge I think a lot of people deal with during the rut in particular. Um, you know, when you have thousands of acres of your great big farms, or if you're hunting public land, you can look on the map and you can find, okay, these are natural pinch points. These are seven different great bedding years. These are eight different great looking ridge saddles or something like that that would make sense during the rut. And you could hit all these different places. But Tony, I feel like when we've looked at the map here and looked at the weather and thought through our plans and have our wind direction, it's like, well, we guess it there or there. Ah. Uh, that is that is a big challenge during the rut that I've struggled with in that case. It's it's how do you balance the pressure versus being in the right place versus trying to have a fresh sit. Uh, I don't know. I know you don't hunt a ton of places just like this, but what are some of your thoughts about how you would approach the rut in this kind of situation? You've hunted some small properties in the past. Yeah, I mean, this is... 
this this is just kind of you know we we went into the swamp for the first time today, and it was like just obvious. Like you get in there and like this is where the big ones live. Yeah, you know, I mean every this kind of property is like a pass through property, you know. So you know, like you could catch one cruising, but it's not like. Uh, it's not like you have 64 acres in bluff country where there's going to be like telltale pinches and funnels and stuff. This is like a, it's not flat, but it's not real rolly. Yep. And so you're sitting here going, okay, this is, this is the, the kind of thing where you're not, you're not going to get that like awesome funnel. Probably you're going to get the, the concentration, right? Like where are the bucks going to be concentrated? Yep. And it's just that nasty cover with, you know, like they're going to have muddy feet. Yeah, you know, and so you're always looking for that. And what's what's sort of uh, it's it's cool to see anyway. Is yeah, the the swamp on here is is pretty big when it's when you look at it in its entirety. The the part that you guys have is it's like okay size, yeah. right? But a lot of these little woodlots that we're seeing some of the better buck activity on are small. Yep. But they're just there. <laughs> they're not lighting out across the open. They're just yeah. hanging in there. And we had a couple of really good chases break out next to us on on the neighbor's ground and that chunk of ground is just tiny you know i mean it's the where where they were actually running is probably only like eight or ten acres yep. and so it kind of makes me think in this situation like instead of just sitting where you want to see and where you think you're going to see all this running and this chasing like you would on the sportsman's channel or whatever yeah. like you need to get in tight into the stuff that they just feel comfortable in yeah you know because we talked about this before off air is like yeah, it's the rut, but you still have to factor in the pressure. And we can look on the neighbor's properties. I mean, like, we we were joking, we were filming, you know, bow hangers in every tree we got into, <laughs> like, or, or we could see them hanging. I mean, like, there, there's obvious pressure here. Yeah. So then you take, you take it's a little cooler in those swamps. You take it, you know, like, that's just the safe. That's a safe space, man. Yeah. And so it's really looking for that and making something work in there versus kind of taking the easy way out you know, nice place to hang a stand or a saddle on a field edge and see a bunch of stuff. Go where you can kill them, not where you can see them. Yeah. And something I thought, and I, we didn't have to quite do that yet here, um, but something I've thought, one of the things I'm constantly worried about on the other small properties I hunt is overpressuring spots. Like I, I'm always trying to be so surgical with when I go in and timing that to the right times and only hunting those when you have to or when the chances are best and letting them you know, be safe otherwise. But in a circumstance like this where you have a, a weak trip and a small, relatively limited property, there is something to the approach I mentioned a little while ago, I think, which is find one of those those best places like what you described and then kind of camp on it. If you have the confidence in it and if your little property only has a few places like that, you could bounce around all over your 40 acres if you want. Or you could say, you know what? it's going to happen in one of these two places and I'm going to put three days in each one if it's the, if the wind's right. And yeah, some does are going to figure me out, but the buck I might kill eventually could be two miles away on this day and he might be 400 acres away on the second day. And if I didn't sit there three straight days, I would have never had the opportunity for him to come through. So part of me thinks, you know, if, if we had had good cold weather here and we you know, had a different set of cards, I might have said, I'm going to go into the honey hole or the swamp and I'm sitting in a couple of these corp spots every day. And yeah, you're going to leave an impact and yeah, things will change, but eventually one of these deer will come through. Um, I think this is a time of year when sometimes you have to care a little bit less about your pressure because y you have to make hay when the sun shines. 
And I think this is that time in some of these places on a small spot. Do you agree with that or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously even, even trying to be safe, we put a ton of pressure on some of these spots, yeah. but I always think about this. I mean, I was in, I was in Minnesota last week doing all day sits uh, on a private place and you think like, I think, okay, I'll rest this spot or I haven't been in here and I'll go in and there'll be some dude's tree stand, 75. Like, so when you get used to hunting around pressure, you go, that luxury of saving stuff, it's not, it's, if you have it, it's all, it's a great yeah. strategy, right? But a lot of people don't have it. And it, in this time of year, it maybe really doesn't, it, sh- it should be pretty low on the list, yeah. I think. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Uh, Justin, you've hunted some pressured stuff, some small stuff. Have you seen anything different than what Tony and I have been talking about? Or Charlie, you kind of too. I know either one of you guys seen or thought of anything different? No. But, yeah, I was thinking as you were saying that, though, like, you know, this is what you wait all year for. Like, there's no use to save the property at this yeah. point, you know? If you if it's good, you got to be in there, like yep. those spots. Charlie? Basically the same thing. Um, the, the land around our house is it's a mix, and there's a lot of ag fields. So 
there's plenty of things that you can watch, but at the same time, there's these core areas where the deer always end up hanging out. And if you're not in there, you're most likely not going to see them. The rest of the, the rest of the properties that are connected a couple miles, like the next mile over or the next woods across the road, they're, they're just travel corridors to those core spots. But it seems like each, each big section has its own, own place. And that's kind of what I noticed here because it seemed like the, there's a swamp on the south side and then mm-hmm. the north property has that little bit of swamp connected to that woods yep. on the neighbors. So we kind of felt as if maybe like the smaller bucks and like, that's why Tony called it the nursery <laughs> because like the smaller bucks hang out this, this swamp and it's like a little bit of a smaller swamp and less deer activity, but like the better, like you got big blue stem over there, you got thick cattails, you got, cedars and all that that's where the more mature bucks are hanging out so i think it's kind of like a contesting like game for whoever gets what swamp and then they kind of just circle through it yeah check them out as they go got dibs on some of the better stuff maybe maybe i mean there certainly could be but then at the same time i I always go back and forth sometimes i think we overthink things a little bit too because again, like the cameras, we definitely overthink things sometimes. Sometimes I think you overthink things. <laughs> <laughs> and there's tens of thousands of people laughing really hard right now and saying, yeah, we heard that. <laughs> so can I tell you a little story? So tell me. one of my buddies is like, what's it like to hunt with Mark? And my response was that Mark gives the deer a lot more credit than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just very analytical and very risk reward focused, I think. Yep. So I'm constantly weighing that stuff. Maybe to a fault, but... It works. You Some can't. of the time, at least. Um, I think you, I think, but the difference is like, it, like you, you've hunted how many states already this year? So, and how, where have you hunted? Three states. So, Idaho, Ohio, but, Michigan. But like you really hone in on like a core, you know, so I feel like you have to, yeah. to a certain extent. Well, I think, yeah, especially on a couple of these little spots that I hunt local to home where I'm, I've got one buck that I'm after mm-hmm. and I've got, you know, 45 acres to make it happen on or something, but I'm really obsessed with getting that one deer. Mm-hmm. I think that infiltrates so much of the rest of my thinking with everywhere else I go, mm-hmm. maybe, that and, that colors things. Like, I think the perspective that both you guys have is something that we should all have. But, you know, I think it's property-based and situation-based because, like, Tony, you got to get it done in a, in a lot of different scenarios where people like myself, I think, Mark, you, you even have gone more than I have. But I have, like a lot of us, just have a couple spots. We have to make that count. And I think we do need to be, I mean, go have fun. But if whatever your goals are, I think the analytics come in to help you achieve that. Yep. And if you don't, if you didn't, if you do go in willy nilly and and you don't do your homework, then you can't at the end of the season say, "Well, I didn't see anything. Right. I couldn't get it done." Like, it's it's all situational based. But and there certainly are a lot of ways to get the job done. Mm-hmm. That's something I've definitely learned over the years is that there's a lot of approaches that can work in different situations, different places, different people's styles. Um, whatever works for you, but. This this brings me to then another thing that I think 
uh, is right in line with what you said, Justin, and which does make things different for you and me, Tony. You hunt, I hunt a decent amount of public land. You hunt a lot of public land. Um, you're also less picky than I am in a lot of cases. <laughs> you, you like to let them, you let them sing. Um, but still shoots good deer. Oh, he does. <laughs> which shoots, I hear. shoots lots of great yeah, deer. Yeah, wrap my head around. <laughs> but you're also willing to shoot different deer I, which is believe me buddy i almost shot a spike this I know. Morning. <laughs> that's what i'm saying I, I looked over dude and he had his bow ready and his release was I, on the string if, i was like are you gonna shoot this if one? it wasn't for the onslaught of internet dickheads i'd have shot that sucker in a heartbeat because i was he was it was just over and i was like oh, i told charlie like when he was walking in i was like that guy looks delicious yeah. like i want to shoot him so bad walked back up here with it in his backpack <laughs> i've been just as happy <laughs> so so this is what i want to get to which is hunting the rut on public land. So for a lot of people, that's what they're doing. And it goes back to this whole expectation thing we talked about, like the rut's supposed to be this time when giants are running all over the place and it's exciting and it's everything you dreamed about. But on public land, maybe that's not always the case. Sometimes it can be. But walk me through some of the challenges on hunting some of your public pieces you've done in the past. What are some of those trials and tribulations? Uh, and we know what they will be, but talk me through some of those and how you deal with them. Well, I think... And finally, sorry. And finally also, how and when sometimes that forces you to change your standards and how that is, is a good thing for you. There, well, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, kind of what Justin said, I mean, it really, like... I. I could describe us like I'm a pioneer and you're a settler in some ways. Like everything I do, I just have to, I don't have a history. You know what I mean? So like you're working these properties. And so I was thinking about that. Like my strategy for coming into most places would be to take a long walk around and look for the sign and everything. But when you're dealing with a property like this and you've kind of like, you know, your way around, you've been working on it and you kind of got your ideas and I come in here and I go, I can't, this is not like my style. You know, so I'm kind of just like taking a back seat and going, all right, well, we'll just play it safe. But that just comes from, you know, going to multiple states every year and just stepping into new public land and always trying those new experiences. Like there's no hunting on memories or like the, the, the plan is like, you know, you do all your research, right? And you get in there and it's like always different. And so, you, you know, you don't rely on the plans the same way. So I, I go in with, you know, plan A, B, C, whatever. And it's always like... You walk in and the rubs are here or they're not here or the river crossings here or not there. And so it's just more of an in the moment thing. So that's like, I'm, I'm like way more of a deer freelancer than you. Like when you're talking about being analytical and working these individual bucks and stuff, I'm like, man, most of the time when I'm hunting, I have no idea what bucks right. live there. And so this is, this is actually kind of my nightmare, <laughs> like getting bogged down into a place. Cause it, this is something I've said this before, and I know people who have private property or a lot of deer hunters don't really believe this, but it's one of the things I love the most about public land is like, you're not, if you're, if you're willing to go look, you're not confined in a lot of places. So you have options. So we, we always have that goal of like, man, I want that private spot, right? I want that place that I can build up and build the food plot or whatever. And like, that's great. But you know, like, what if you get that south wind for five days and you're not set up for it? If you yep. don't have that other option to go out, you're like, then you're going to go, well, I'm not going to hunt because I'm playing it safe, and I'd rather hunt. Yeah. And so it's just a different, it, it just amazes me how many different ways you can come at this stuff. And, you know, something you, you kind of said there before, like, you, you know, you, you kind of asked me, like, well, what, what does it take to get you to, like, drop your standards in one of those places? One thing that I've kind of become obsessed with is... 
there's a huge difference. Like when you're sitting on sand, you're like, I passed a buck. I'm like, did you actually try to kill him? Cause there's a difference, you know? So I, like, I hear people talk about that all the time. Like, Oh, you know, like I, it's been three years and I haven't shot one. I'm waiting for a big one. Like, Hey, you do you, whatever. But I know when you switch from active observer <laughs> to participant in now I want to deflate some lungs. Big change. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like, if I, if I go into the woods or if I go into the season, I'm like, I want a whole bunch of venison before this is out. And what I realize is like, I love big bucks, but if you were to say like, you can have the antlers or you can have the meat at this point in my life, I take the meat every time. And so I'm kind of looking at it like, I like shooting deer. I like going out, you know, you buy that non-resident tag somewhere and you got four days. Like I would rather go home with a forky and eat him and be happy and make a shot and go through the whole process than just not. So it, it kind of depends, you know, like I drew Iowa this year, like I wasn't going to do that in Iowa. Yep. Like that was kind of a special thing. And then, you know, part of that is you get in there and you go, not only do I feel like I have a really good chance at a big one, but I'm just having fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I've had this happen where, you know, if you go to like Oklahoma blind, right. And you're from the upper Midwest or something. If you go there and you're like, I'm going to hunt public land I've never been to. And I'm only going to kill one thirties or better. Like you're going home empty handed probably. Yeah. Right. But if you go and you're like, let's just go have fun and hunt deer. You're going to have fun. You know, so it's it's not like what fits into the typical kind of hunting media mold where it's like, you know, we're, we're targeting these age class of bucks or whatever. It's like, just kind of like, we're going in the moment. We're going to just enjoy it. It's kind of like going fishing for whatever. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, bring you got night crawlers, you got freaking, you know, spinner baits, whatever, you, whatever you're going to do all day long instead of just being like, I am a fly fisherman and I am targeting trout. You, you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference. And like, again, I don't... I don't care what people do. Right. I just know from my experience going to all these different places, it's just like kind of just looking for that and that like elevated enjoyment factor for me. Yep. And that's why I lean into this stuff. I just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It, it definitely does come down to like personality types probably too. Mm-hmm. Like you're describing the things you would do and I'm listening like, oh, see that like my brain just couldn't work. Like I am the guy that <laughs> if I'm going fishing, I'm going fly fishing and I'm going to catch trout and that's the mission. That's the thing I want to do and I'm going to do that. Like I'm not the guy that can go willy nilly. I'm like, oh, let's catch whatever and I'll throw a spinner rod and a bait casting rod and a fly rod. Like I'm going to go into these rivers and this specific thing. And same thing, like when I go on a hunting trip, even public land or something, I have the exact opposite thought where if I go in with a set of goals, I couldn't, I would much rather not kill a deer than, than shoot the, shoot the deer that I originally didn't want to shoot early on, even though what you're describing makes sense. And I totally get it. I just couldn't, I just can't do it for like my personality. So I want to fight to the bitter end to try to achieve whatever the goal was. And that's my fun. It's a different kind of fun, but that's the fun that I'm looking for is I really want to try to achieve whatever that thing is, whatever that end goal I wanted. I just want to keep pushing for it all the way to the end. And then if I don't get it, then I didn't get it. Yeah. And I'm, I know I'm going to fill my freezer eventually by the end of the season with does. So I look at all my out of state trips and all those other things as this opportunity to, to go for that thing, no matter what. And, and I'd rather eat the tag and fill my freezer later. Um, and so that's just like, I'm weird in that way, and you're weird in your way, and well, we're both. You know what the difference is, though? Well, there's a lot of differences there, but you you probably, the way you're wired with the whitetail thing, you probably wouldn't go on a lot of the trips that I go on. You know what I mean? Like, you probably, you would probably be more meticulous in your planning and going, okay, this is the place I want to go to in Nebraska, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got this history or whatever, and I'm just kind of like, 
I want, I've never hunted X state. I want to go there. See it. You know what I mean? And yeah. so you, you're, I think this is like, this is, I think this is why this platform has gotten so big for you is because you, you are wired to just be like whitetails, whitetails, wired to hunt. whitetails, <laughs> like, and, and big whitetails or, you know, mature whitetails or whatever. And like, if you looked at my daily life, you know, I love deer hunting, but I love hunting everything and i love fishing and i love fishing for it like i don't get i get like bored really easily and so i don't have any problem just being like i'm going to a state that probably sucks for big white tails but maybe it has got maybe it has a lot of deer yeah or it's just I, i'm i'm making my decisions i used to make decisions like that like where can i go to kill a big one and then kind of laser in on that especially when i started the public land thing now i'm just like uh, <laughs> i just want to go with my buddies yeah. and have fun you know it's just different and that's that's the cool thing about what we all do everyone listening and uh, we can all deer hunt for our own reasons with our own set of goals and go in there to achieve whatever it is you want if you want to go see a bunch of deer and shoot nothing or if you want to go in there and shoot the first deer you see if you want to go there and be picky and wait forever and not shoot anything it's all good it's all awesome and um i think that's probably the best important part is to like these podcasts and youtube and everything is is all like gold mines right and you could spend the rest of your life uh digging down into those but the the important thing is to figure out what makes you happy don't let other people's expectations and goals and whatnot those don't have to be your goals um and set your own goals figure out what because you guys both have wanted this property you guys are both having fun but i know that if tony like knowing you and thinking about your history on this property like you didn't want Steve and Yanni walking past the swamp last year. And when was that? <laughs> September right? 15th. And if Tony could have come in here on day one, he would have probably gone all through that and been like, I'm going to find my spot. Hey, I so, want to make it very clear. I never once told Tony what he could or could not do. <laughs> I, I said, Tony, what do you want to do? No. You had no, free reign. Yeah. And I will second that. I've, I've seen that. But like it, like it's, yeah, it can be deflating for like people listening because like if you you know we all like shooting big deer and like that i think you know but set your own goals and don't accept other people's goals for yourself and you bring up maybe the most important part of this entire podcast one of the greatest challenges of the rut is looking at your phone and looking at social media (laughs) and seeing everybody else killing all these big deer and if you haven't yet and maybe you get to a certain point where that doesn't bother you. But I think everyone a little bit, if you're struggling or if your day has been bad or if your week's been bad, you're like, dang it, mm. this guy and this person, and this scale, and you're seeing all these, you're like, why can't it happen for me? And it's easy to fall into a little bit of a, a, a bummer phase when you're seeing that. It's like the doom scrolling, and that's happened so much this time of year because it's lighting up. How do you guys deal with that? For me, definitely earlier on in my hunting world, like life, I would get, I was jealous and insecure and would feel bad for myself or feel like, oh my God, I look like such an idiot because I can't kill anything, but all these people are. And just over time, I've gotten more and more just fine with who I am and with what happens. But you still sometimes like, geez, why can't, why isn't that happening for me yet? <laughs> um, 
I know there's a lot of people listening that are feeling the same thing because I get all these messages, people saying, man, it's so nice to see all the times you screw up and don't kill deer because that happened to me. And otherwise, everything I see on Facebook is this guy killed one, this guy killed one, this one killed one. Mm-hmm. Um, does that ever hit you, Justin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm preaching to myself over here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it does. And um, man, like I think, it's easy to get wrapped up in that, especially like if you, you know, again, you two, two different perspectives. You both work hard. You do it differently. But when you work hard, you, you want results, you know, whether it's like putting in food plots or saving these spots or walking six miles on public land, like you want it. And so I feel, feel like it's with anything. We all fight the tendency to want what else, you know, other people have or, you know, just but especially this, because, you know, for myself, I'm super passionate about this. And like, there's not a day that goes by that my head's not in this hole, you know? So when you spend all year thinking about it and it's here and you're like working hard and it's not happening, like it, it, it takes some air out of your balloon, you know, but you just got to stick with it, man, because like you, it eventually will happen. And you got, you got to remember that you're hunting, you're not shooting. You gotta enjoy hunting. You gotta Process enjoy. Itself, yeah. yeah. You gotta enjoy. Slow down when you're walking out, and just look around. Like that's the stuff that, like when I'm when I'm not deer hunting, and and it's spring or it's you know Christmas time, and I'm thinking about it. It's not like the shot that I'm thinking about. It's like sitting in the stands watching the sunrises, and like even even with this warmer weather, like I've I've commented to you a couple of times. Like gosh, listen to the friggin' birds. Like it, it, it like sounded like spring again and like that's the stuff that that needs to feed our soul like Mm -hmm. not not what's going to hang on the wall which i think we all get some gratification from but enjoy hunting and uh and i think if we can kind of bring ourselves back to that then not seeing things or not killing you know a booner or whatever um we should still come out feeling fulfilled yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely right. And I'm given everything we just talked about with my own personality, being an obsessive kind of personality and very mission focused. This is something I struggle with every day, not every day, but I mean like every year at some point I'm so goal oriented that I have to have like this internal dialogue mm-hmm. and I have to have these little resets with myself. And I don't know if other people do that, but that's what my crazy ass does. <laughs> um, because yeah, if I didn't, if I just like let my animal self go that's the kind of stuff that would be frustrating me all the time and so i constantly have to like mark chill out enjoy the process this is this is what you love don't let somebody else's success make you enjoy your thing less and take the thing you love so much and turn it otherwise um but that's like a hard thing to kind of learn to do and to remind yourself of often um Tony, do you ever, I mean, I know you're different, <laughs> but do you ever find yourself like, damn it, why isn't it working this year? You've all, had a few tough years. All the time, man. And, it, you know, you started that with like the social media thing of seeing all these dead bucks out there. And it's like, I just, I just want to say this, like social media is fake news. It just is. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're seeing, you're seeing the end product of something, right? Mm-hmm. And it might be a guy like Andy May who is one of the best deer hunters out there. Yep. You might just see the result of somebody who's got it all. Like, yep. and, and like in the capacity we're, we're talking about, or you might see a buck that somebody didn't, didn't earn at all. They showed up what, for whatever reason, like the spectrum's huge, sure. right? 
And the problem is we're seeing all of those deer all day long. Every, yeah. Nobody shoots a buck and doesn't post a picture, right? Yeah. And so you're just getting exposed to that. But if you go out there and you look at like the success rates from state to state, it's not changing. Yeah. And so we're just getting exposed to these. And the problem is like we sit here and we look at that and go, it's it's just human nature to be like, why didn't why am I not killing a 140 every year? Like, well, almost nobody is. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. almost nobody is doing that. And then you see some of these people who are doing like awesome stuff out there. I, I always think about like the hunting public and you watch those guys and they're young. But I think they're probably some of the best hunters to come into the industry. I really do. And part of that is they are in a place where they embrace this this brand that they built, but they're they're layering experience in there. I mean, those guys are knocking out state after state and hunt after hunt after hunt. And they are layering experience in in a way where the average nine to five, twenty-seven year old out there is right. gonna take them a decade to get one year like that. And so if you compare yourself to that and go, well, there's so many variables that are keeping like the the normal average deer hunter from even approaching that orbit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's a weird world where you see that all the time, but it's, it like doesn't factor in anything in your life. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. you might just be somebody who just kind of likes deer hunting. Or even if you mm-hmm. love it, you might have a life situation where, you know, you're, you're like five days a year, six days a year. Like you're not gonna, it's not going to happen unless you have that just banging spot. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to be like, you know, mostly unsuccessful most years. Yep. And so it's just, it's, it, you know, having little kids like I do, I look at that and I go, that is, you know, and there's a whole different issue and you got little girls and you look at it like, it's a scary thing and it's just not reality. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just such a, like, you pick the worst thing that like we want people to see and we're like, here you go. Here's just this. Here's nothing else. Like all the mistakes I made all day long, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so it's dangerous ground, but you know, I, that that's the thing that I, I worry about with us the most in this industry right now is just like what what reality are we presenting? And just by sheer nature of like doing what we do, like content creation, you leave stuff out. Like it's just you just have to. But like, is it an honest look, or is it like how far is it skewed one way or the other? And you know this, like you're always checking yourself. Like, okay, am I showing as much of like the warts as I am of the beauty shots? And that's a, it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, my problem is I show too many warts, <laughs> and I get people saying, "Do you ever, do you ever not screw up a hunt?" <laughs> so the other day, Justin, do you want to tell my wart story? Oh gosh! <laughs> Speaking of these kinds of things, uh. so I am OCD. I am obsessive. I'm a perfectionist. <clears throat> I am so analytical with all this, right? And I'm going in, and we are going to go hang a set midday, right on the edge of the gray bedding area we've been hunting. Uh, to be better positioned for this shift in wind direction we had from day one to day two. And it was going to be a relatively still day. So I wanted to leave really early, slowly walk our way in there. And then I stopped Justin about 150 yards out or something. I said, Hey man, this last like hundred yards or so, I want to freaking stealth mode it to another level. Cause we're going to be setting up within like 40, 50 yards, maybe or where these does can be bedded. We cannot afford to spook these does. Let's, let's be perfect. <laughs> so we he filled me in on stealth mode. Oh, well, what, it was like step, step. Yeah, I, I was, I was fearing like I'm filming this, but I don't think people's gonna realize Mark's moving. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, so yeah, we we were. How long did it take you to go from start of stealth mode to end of stealth mode? Yeah, we were. I don't know time, but it felt like forever. <laughs> the last, the last like forty yards of the hardest because we were walking across the field, yeah, but then when we sense. got into the timber, it was. 
like there was the tall way to get through tall yeah. brushy weeds and then into some buckthorn everything's then, crunchy so super i was dry. just like tr- every single foot step i'm trying to place it in the right place slowly ease it down edge around every branch so you're not snapping and cracking and popping um of course, I got uh, I got headphones on so I can hear through uh, mics that are amped up a little bit, so everything sounds like three times a as little loud. louder. And I know like Mark's soul is dying uh, when <laughs> when I'm stepping on things. So yeah, I'm kind of letting him pave the way. You did great. I never once thought that I never once thought you let me down. Okay, good. I thought you let me down, but I wasn't going to tell. Well, that's what we're getting can to. You, can you tell us how Mark let himself down here? So, yeah, so well, do you want do you want to lay the punchline, or do you want me to lay? The you punchline? you can go ahead. I'll just I'll add the sugar. Okay, so we we finish this stealth mode sneak into this edge of the timber. We get in there, we find the tree, and um, finally pick the spot where I think's our best chance. And we get to the bottom of the tree. And for the show, I want to explain what we're doing. So I kind of start whisper talking to the camera, explaining why we were just stealth moding it this last 50 to 100 yards, why we're being so careful about it, why I want to make sure we um, just pay attention to the details here on this one. And as I'm describing that, I have been holding a can of nose jammer, which is like an aerosol metal can. And we're standing on some rocks underneath this tree. And, and, so- and his, like, the words he was saying could not have been more precise about what was about to happen. Like it's almost like it happened and we went back and re-recorded like what could be the worst thing you could say to prep people for like <laughs> Because I, I I'm in the middle of having this speech. It's so important to be perfectly quiet when you go into a place like this. And as I'm doing this, I'm reaching behind me with that can to put the can of nose jammer into my water bottle pocket. While you're explaining as these I'm explaining details. it. So I'm like, so we're just taking our time and we are going to be perfectly silent because there could be does bedded 40 yards away. We're and 40 I, yards from the, the best spot And on I the release the can of nose jammer into my water bottle pocket. But instead of there being a water bottle pocket, it was air and it dropped and crashed down on the rock. Into a pile <laughs> of stones. Click, 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 click. I almost wet myself. Yeah, and I just... It was just a classic uh, mark. Yeah, I said that's, yeah. that's classic Canyon right there. <laughs> yeah. And fortunately, you were filming it. Oh, oh yeah. He, he caught it yeah. perfectly. Yeah. So can I tell you the dumbest thing I did this week? Yeah. While we're, while we're telling secrets. Mm-hmm. So today, <laughs> Charlie and I are sitting there, you know, four hours, whatever. We had some does come in, had a little spiker come in. And we're like, okay, we got we to gotta get out of here. It's been dead. We got to go hang this new set. And I look at my bow, and I I knock my arrow in the dark, and I knock my knock below my D loop. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm thinking, holy shit! Like if if a big one would have walked in, and I wouldn't have caught that, I'd have sent an arrow right off into Ohio <laughs> <laughs> and missed him by a mile. And I'm like, I've done this hundreds of times. I don't remember once in my life ever doing that and not like noticing for uh-huh. four hours. Mm-hmm. Wow! So. Yeah, there you go. Professional. Happens to us all. <laughs> <laughs> That's some expert level stuff there. It is. <laughs> it happens to everyone. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. 
They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Um, Let's go through a few more kind of rapid fire because I you know you want to get in the stand here, Tony. A few more rapid fire challenges that we might face during the rut. And I'll throw it out there and any one of you three, if you have an idea or a thought on this, just jump in. I'm just going to start pitching things that might happen during the rut and how we're going to deal with them. So how about you go in, you're going to sit somewhere in the rut. It could be a small property, could be public land, whatever. And you get set up and another guy comes in. And he sets up, you know, within 100 yards, 50 yards, something. He's close. You see him. Someone busts through your good stuff. How do you deal with that? Anyone have a thought on that? Do you keep hunting? Do you move? Tony? <laughs> I'm out of there. I've had that happen before on public land. And I can't, I don't hunt to be around people, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it, it sucks, but it would be either time to pull the set or just go build a natural blind or some reset for the night. Yeah. That's no bueno. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd move, I'd I'm move moving too. too. What about a situation where you know that a, there's a good area, like you maybe you wanted to hunt this good spot, but your buddy shot a buck there the day before and blew it up, <laughs> like I did. <laughs> or you're hunting public land and it's this spot you scouted in the spring, you know is awesome, but then you get to the parking lot and there's some guys dragging out a deer or someone leaving and say, "Hey, we're done hunting. We we were in there for four days, uh, saw tons of action, killed one this morning or something like that." Would you still hunt it, or would you say, ah, they blew it up, it's not worth it? Keep I'd do it I'd again. hunt it. I'd hunt it, if, Keep hunting. especially if it's a rut. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a rut, for sure. Somebody, actually, somebody explained to me why. They didn't kill them all out. I mean, how do you know? 
how do you know how much of an impact they had? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's just one that you put it in the back of your mind. You go sit it, and if it doesn't pan out after a couple of sits, then you go, okay, maybe it's maybe it's done. But I, you know, I always think back uh, the, when we were talking about the hot rut. You know, and the last time we had this, I was down in Nebraska hunting um, public land down there, and it was seventy five degrees. And before I got there, some dude had driven his uh, dirt bike all over the public land we were hunting, like just crazy covered it and it was like a ghost town just cleared out but we kind of started figuring out like these deer are coming back he got busted <laughs> like he got a ticket but after that stopped i mean it, it was surreal you'd go to like a creek crossing or you'd i mean just the scrapes the rubs everything was there everything looked perfect timing looked perfect it was hot but other than that but the deer were just gonzo and but they started working their way back in like the the disturbance is gone and it, it was a weird scenario for a little bit but they come back yeah like that's our home mm -hmm. you know so, so this brings me back to another one of these things that people might experience this time of year which is the rut dead spell like the rut is very much like ups and downs here and not there at least from my experience what do you do or what would you do in a situation where you're hunting what you think is a good area and you've put in three or four days in the general zone and it's just dead you're not seeing the rutting activity you thought you should see it hasn't happened yet but you're in a place that either from scouting or history or whatever, you know it should be good, but it isn't. Uh, we talked, I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago, Andre DeQuisto, who says that if you are sitting in a situation like that, get up and go and go find them because they're all in some other pocket with one hot dough or something. So he would tell you to go walk over the property, start bumping bucks, and then set up. Would you guys wait it out? Because, yeah, they might not be here, but it's their home. They're going to eventually get here. and They'll be coming back. Or do you go and seek them out after a couple of days? Go get them. <clears throat> I'd go get them. And how long would you wait? How long do you hold it out? Not long. Because you got it wrong. I mean, that's that's the problem with this is we get this idea. This is where it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. You know, they're going to cruise through this pinch point, whatever. But you get that stuff wrong constantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all the time. And to write out a dead program, like a really dead program, is no bueno. You're in the spot that you have a ton of confidence in. It's money. You're sitting it, and it's lots of activity. It's November 7th, November 14th, whatever, and cruising bucks coming through. There was chasing. Your big buck that you want to shoot or a big buck that you want to shoot comes in, and he blows out. You booger him somehow. He wins you or he spots you, draw him back, or you shoot and you miss, something like that. But there's still all sorts of activity. Do you stick it out? Or do you immediately go and reposition? Do you stay there that day and the next day? What do you do in that situation? You don't leave biting fish, buddy. No, no. <laughs> Never leave fish to find fish. Yep. And again, <clears throat> probably comes back to your goals. Like, uh, if that's the buck you want to kill, then you probably want to figure something else out. But if you're if you're just hunting, you're, I'd stick it out. Yep. Tony, what if it's the only buck you want to kill? Or is it like this is this is an exact scenario that happened to me? I had one target buck I want to kill on one of these small properties, and he came in ten minutes before shooting light. Came to 10 yards, could if it would have been daylight, could have shot him, but it wasn't. And so he walked past me to my downwind side, winded me, and blew out. And then I was sitting there the rest of the morning thinking, okay, he just winded me from this tree. I know I'm in like the belly of the beast, the best stuff around, and everything's happening around me, but the one deer I'll shoot out here blew me out here. And I was sitting there thinking, do I need to relocate 50 yards, 100 yards? Uh, should I just stick it out and wait for a doe to bring him back and he won't care? What are your thoughts? Uh, I'd probably stick it out for a little while and see. I mean, if that, you know, that, that, 
like you said there, there's the wild card. Like, what if he gets on a dill that smells right? You know, he's going wherever she goes. Mm -hmm. And what is their memory on a situation like that? You know, you kind of hope they're they're a little punch drunk during the rut, and maybe they'll mm -hmm. maybe they'll slip. Maybe it wasn't as impactful as if he'd have got you on September fifteenth. Right. You know. But yeah. that's why I don't hunt one buck. Yeah, <laughs> you might be the smarter one of us too for that reason. Um, what about the situation where you are dealing with, let's say you're out there, middle of November, and it's that lockdown phase that we often hear, lock, quote unquote, lockdown phase. Mid-November, 15th, 16th, 17th, that a lot of folks in the media will talk about, well, this is when it dies down and it's slower. All the bucks have got does. This is a time period a lot of people struggle with at times, uh, at least hunting conventional ways. Any thoughts on how to deal with the challenge of mid-November? Do you hunt it differently than you would the first week or two? Um, is going pheasant hunting an option? Can you go pheasant you would hunting? You just go pheasant hunting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. Really? Yeah. No, I No, I would, actually. But... You know, I mean, the lockdown thing is, can really suck, but it's also, I always look at that, like, they're not all locked down. Right. You know, and that lockdown is like 24 to 48 hours, whatever it's going to be, and they're in different stages of that. And so, yeah, it's not the, the chasing crazy phase, but it's also one of those ones where, in some ways, they, they kind of get more visible if those does really get you know, they get out into a certain spot and he gets her corralled in a mm -hmm. certain way. A lot of bucks die that way because yeah. they won't leave them. And so it's, it's just a change. You yeah. know I mean? It's kind of, to me, that's like the difference between the last week of October and the first week of November. Like they're close in some ways, but a lot of, a lot of times you're doing something vastly different by the, from the front end to the back end. And so the lockdown just brings you into a new strategy. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt the same thing. Like Certainly, there might be less of that on their feet cruising, chasing around, but not every single buck will all be locked down all at the same time. And when they do break off one, you do have those windows of opportunity. Yeah. And it can be just as good as any other time then. And it, it goes back to the simplest part of the route, which is time on stand. Being out there and being able to capitalize on those moments when they arrive, um, which finally gets us to the mental side of things a little bit. Back, we talked about expectations. We talked about how it's so easy to have these dreams of what the rut should be like, but then it doesn't pan out. Um, what about just handling the mental side of the grind of the rut? Long days on stand, morning after morning, waking up at 3.30, uh, whatever it is, uh, freezing your tail off most years. Maybe you're hunting all day, every day, hunting 12 hours on the stand. You're worn out. Any, um, any advice or thoughts on how to deal with that side of things? Um, I'll say one thing. I just post on Instagram about this yesterday. It's something that I've had to kind of grow into. I used to take the brute force approach to hunting all the time, both out of the rut and in the rut. And I thought that the only way I could kill a, the deer I wanted to shoot would be to hunt every single possible time I could, put every minute into it that I possibly could. So during the rut, I would feel really guilty if I didn't feel like I was giving 2000% to it. And if I wasn't hunting every spare moment and every opportunity and giving it 100%. I wanted to leave every little bit on the court. And if I didn't, I'd be beating myself up big time. I've started to more recently realize that maybe that might result in diminishing returns, where if you are wearing yourself down so bad and you are tiring yourself out so much, you're grinding so hard that you start making bad decisions, start losing focus on stand, start making silly mistakes, and then most importantly, you, you stop having fun. 
And if it gets to that point, a little reset sometimes can make a big difference, both in your enjoyment level and also how effective as a hunter you are. So I've given myself permission over the last couple of years that I don't have to hunt midday every single day. I don't need to do 12 hours every day. I don't need to be Superman. Um, I will when it seems right or when time allows, but if it doesn't seem right, I'm going to go spend some time with my kids or do something like that. Um, if I need to take a morning off, you know, five years ago, I would have never, ever considered that. Um, now, I'll, if, if it's, you know, if it's that, sure, I'll take a morning off, reset, feel better, and then just kick it back into gear even better after that. That's where my head's been a little bit on some of this mental side of things. Um, any thoughts on that specifically or other mental challenges during this time period? Anybody? I think it, I think all you're describing is why kids need recess. You know, yeah. like the the single best day I've ever had elk hunting is when I spent most of it fishing. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you just need to. It, I mean, it it goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? Is your goal to kill a big one? Then you know what you got to put in, right? Like to to have your chance. But are you it, like at the same time are you having fun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it's not fun anymore, or if you're kind of dreading it, like. You know, you can tell there's such a difference when you wake up and you're like, oh my God, it's the rut. I want to yeah. get out there. Or you wake up and you're like, oh, another I'm not day. that excited mm-hmm. about this deal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the balance there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's your take a break sign right there. Yep. A good morning sleep in is huge. Charlie, yeah. any snack advice? Snack advice? Yeah. Not those like- freaking apples. Oh, man. You got freeze dried apples? Uh, like the dried apples? No, they're not. They're freeze dried. I would they're not recommend like those <laughs> to <like> anyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I thought of the perfect explanation. Yeah, but you should preface this with you have to have gushers all the time. <laughs> gushers are an important snack. Look, dude, you've had that pack of gushers in your pack. I have had my lucky gushers that you gave me. You guys got to understand that Charlie is like our eccentric. I'll dip. give you a Charlieism after this is over because oh, yeah. I've been staring at this handle and can't figure it out. What? <laughs> Staring at the handle on a table and you can't figure out? I'll let you know. <laughs> you fold it up and you just carry it, buddy. No, but like, okay, if it's... Nobody listening understands what's going on right now. <laughs> there's there's this folding table, like the plastic white ones, and it's got uh, folding legs and you fold it up and fold it in half. Okay. Well, this handle is shaped to fit your hand, but there's grips and airspace on the bottom of the handle. So if you're holding it, it seems like the grip should be on the other side. I was just wondering... This is what we're dealing with. Here. <laughs> okay, go ahead and your. But anyways, so, to these terrible. So that's the cameraman meat, meat eater stuck me yeah. with. Just for the record, perfect fit. Yeah. Can you imagine if Charlie was sitting with me though? Oh, hey, I read that short story also. Oh, you read it? Yeah. Guts. Yeah. Did you have a physical reaction to it? He told me not to read it. So I said, read it if you want, but I am not going to be the one responsible for that. You know that. Do you know what he asked me this morning right away? He's like, does your hotel have a pool on it? Oh, God, yeah, I know. (laughs) He's like, I want to come over and go swimming. I was like, "Uh -uh." Uh, (laughs) uh-uh. Terrible. Yeah, gushers are important, though. Okay. So gushers, any other recommended snacks? Because snacks are an important part of maintaining your mental edge. And I'm actually not kidding. Yeah. I honestly think that having some snacks or or drinks. Coffee, yeah. Justin's been making some good coffee. Yeah? And he said Mm -hmm. he's like half-assing it. Yeah. If I had the stuff, we'd be rolling, man. Coffee, snacks. If you're going to... Yeah. Um, I was surprised because you asked for snack suggestions and you came back with a pretty good, pretty good haul. You got Golden Grams. The bars. The bars. Except when they get hot. 
like it's been right now, the marshmallow sticks. Gooey. Yeah. Oatmeal cream pies, peanut butter crackers. Yeah, yeah we had a full yeah. Little Debbie discussion the other morning. Was- if you didn't know what was going on here and you just walked into this tent, looked at the snack selection, you'd be like, man, there's some stoners camped out here. <laughs> <laughs> there's like no redeeming. Every calorie there is just to kill you a little quicker. Yeah, sweetened banana chips. You can't <laughs> explain those option. apples, Astronaut though. apples. <laughs> there's no way. I, I hope... <laughs> I see Tony has them in his pack too, so I'm like, these have to be good. So I open them. I'm like, you know the dried ones that are just delicious. Yeah, that's what I thought I bought. Freeze dried. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought I bought. So I throw a couple in my mouth, and it's like, you know how you're digging up worms like night crawlers to go fishing? Sure. You know how like when they're in the grass or in the dirt, they're just all relaxed and stretched out. Yeah. That's my tongue before I put the apple on it. <laughs> and then you grab the worm and it's like, yeah, yeah. this sucks right yeah. up. That was after. And then That's a good they analogy. went out and then Tony yelled at me about baiting. Yeah, so <laughs> he's got this handful of dried apples and he throws them out there. And I was like, dude, they're, they're going to think we're baiting here. And he's like, deer are not going to eat these. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's funny. That is very funny. Uh, so swing and a miss there, buddy. Swing and a miss. Um, any other rut challenges that we haven't covered anything else that you can think of tony justin charlie i think just uh clothing and comfort mm-hmm. yep. you know you want to talk about the mental side of things we've i mean we went out this morning at four o'clock it was 61 degrees mm-hmm. but it was actually felt colder by like nine o'clock the clouds came in and so you know normally you're like how how much can i layer up how much should i carry in so i don't sweat and i just think really kind of getting in tune with your clothing and what you're capable of comfort, you know, like comfort wise, like, can you sit on a little tiny stand or can you hang in a saddle all day or do you need something more? Like until you've done it, you don't really know, mm-hmm. but it's like, you kind of fall in love with the idea. Like I'm, I'm going into hanging hunt. I'm going to do this little setup and I'm going to sit all day. You, maybe, maybe, but you might get out there and at like 11 o'clock, you're like, my back hurts. I'm hungry. This sucks. Like mm-hmm. Cold, yeah. hot, whatever. My feet are the first to go. I get cold feet and then it's just like, can't take your mind off your cold feet yeah you don't want something like that to to keep you from your yeah. hunt yeah and it's i say this all the time but there's so many things you can't control in hunt that the few things that you have complete control over you got to nail it clothing mm-hmm. gear being one of them how you knock your arrow how you knock your mm-hmm. arrow snacks you take snacks you take <laughs> when you open your snacks yep where you place your nose jammer cans yeah. oh yeah all that so i guess this brings us to the moral of the story, which is if you can go through all the challenges of the rut. And so I have faced many of these things and others in the preceding two weeks leading up to this moment where I did all, I had all sorts of close calls and mistakes and frustrations and yada, yada, yada. Uh, I did the nose jammer thing, whatever. Brings us to yesterday. If you can sometimes weather the ups and downs of the rut, good things can happen. Day three of our hunt here in the back 40, um, we headed in for another hunt. I decided that I wanted to hunt inside the edge of this bedding area that previously we'd been hunting on the outside edge of. I just I kept believing that I knew something was going to come through eventually. It was where the most does were coming in and out of on that side of the farm. And I believed that if we could make it work with the wind, it was worth getting in there. And there was a stand that we'd prepped the year prior, the very first tray ever prepped on this farm prepped just inside of this section that we call the honey hole where there's this whole native prairie uh, ecosystem we did a prescribed fire this spring to improve it 
We removed some of the invasive autumn olive and buckthorn out of there to open it up a little bit more. We've done this work. It's setting up inside of it where you can see into these openings in between cedars and stuff and tons of does bed in there historically over the last two years I've seen. Um, I found the only two sheds in the property I found in there this spring. Um, we sat outside of it in a little food plot that's just outside of it with my dad and he got a shot of a deer out there. And from that spot, we saw the drop time buck. The night I saw the drop time buck, the first night of this hunt was not too far outside of it. So again, I've been trying to keep it simple. I think this is where the most does are. And I think this is one of the best areas that a buck might want to cruise in or around. And if you can work the wind in there, I thought being in that zone is worth it. So we get in there that morning and I don't know, maybe, well, first, just after first light, we're looking at the fact that once it brightened up, you could actually see a little more outside of the bedding area than we realized. You can kind of see towards this food plot closer than I thought you could otherwise. And there's some branches in the way. So I was like, hey, you know, I could actually shoot to that if those branches weren't there. Just you want me to come down? So I say, yeah, sure. I guess just if you can do it real quick and quiet. Which is a, you know, a setup for failure. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, quick and quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he starts, gets the saw out, and he starts cranking out, and the whole tree's shaking no, all no, around. No, 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 no. Come on, you got to give me more credit than that. I, I was very <laughs> meticulous. You were good. But still, the amount of, like, regard, like, you were good, as yeah. good as you possibly could be. Right. And still, there was Still a dangerous action. move. It was still a dangerous move. And the tree branch drops that he had been cutting, and when it drops, we're all like, oh, there's deer right there. <laughs> He'd been cutting this limb down while there's two deer, deer just on the <laughs> Talks about my stealth. Yeah, yeah stealth mode yeah. all the time. That's right. So there's two does right there. They did not spook. They didn't, didn't even out. look. Didn't even look. Yep. Um, but then, I don't know, half hour after that, maybe, I go looking down in the swamp beneath us, and I just see antlers coming. And it was a long ways away, 400 yards away or something like that. Pull up my binos, and it's that big funky sided buck tony that you and i saw on camera um that that we i don't know if we're calling him spencer or, or the wrong spencer or whatever but he's the funky sided buck <laughs> and he looked big he looked bigger in person than he looked on camera coming through that tall grass i was like holy crap that's a nice deer he came walking our direction but again very far away and down beneath us he walks his kind of cruising disappears maybe 10 minutes later i look out there again see movement pull out the binos and there's a doe squirting through and then right behind her i see white tines and momentarily after that, I realized that's droppy. That's the, that's the drop time buck from the first night. He goes following her around. Five minutes later, I see them come back through the swamp. But again, pretty far away. We got a little footage of it. I don't know if you, have you looked at it yet? Can no, you see him? I didn't look yet. Um, so it was exciting that those two bucks were in the area, but pretty darn far away. Um, we're just in a unique spot up on a hill. We can see way down there into an opening. I had this kind of internal conversation with myself that was, okay, it's nice to know they're in the general area and it's anything's possible, but it seems seems far more likely that they could go any other direction than this way. But 30 minutes later, I see tines coming through the cedars and just was a real quick flash from one cedar to the next. There was like a couple foot gap and you could just see a, a side profile of white antlers go through. And right away, I'm like, good buck, good buck. Not sure if it's a shooter, but definitely potential. So I just said, okay, we need to see what this deer is. I grabbed the grunt tube, let out a couple grunts, and then you, I don't know, a couple seconds later, mm -hmm. five seconds later, all of a sudden, here comes antlers out from behind the cedar. It was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. I mean, it, it was... what dreams are made of. what dreams are made of. It was the drop time buck, a little droppy, as we're calling him. He came walking out of the cedar, came up, 
started ripping up a scrape. And then he, at this point, he's at 40 yards facing us head on. And I think, okay, I'm shooting this deer. If he turns broadside, should I take the shot? Can I, like 40 yards is in my range, but I'd rather have a 20-yard shot than a 40-yard shot. So I'm trying to now think, I've got the bow right. I'm thinking, okay, should I draw back and try to take the shot right away? Or do I wait and see how this plays out? I decided to wait and see how it plays out because he never really gave me a good broadside. I think if he'd gone totally broadside and stood still, I probably would have done it. But because he never gave me a good angle, we let it play out. And then he started walking towards us, but went behind this big oak tree. He's behind the oak tree. And now I'm thinking in my head, okay, he's heading towards the direction of our wind. Our wind was kind of blowing straight up the edge and he was heading towards that. So I knew that if he gets past this oak tree, there's the potential that he could get on our wind. So now I'm thinking as soon as he steps out from behind these branches, I have to shoot fast before he gets that wind. That's going through my head. And while that's going through my head, Justin all of a sudden's like, no, 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 I don't have him. I don't have him. I don't have him. And then I think I just shot back at you. I don't care. Yeah, we had this we had this prep talk. Like, okay, this is what we say if we don't have it. This is, you know, if we're good. And I'm like, I don't, you know, here I'm thinking, this is just the most beautiful moment. Please don't screw it up. And I'm like, I, I'm not on him. And Mark's like, I don't care. And I'm like, well, fine. We have that documented. And when I don't get this, uh, we're just going to revert back to that. What I was trying to say was, what I couldn't communicate in the moment was that <laughs> I couldn't shoot either. Yeah. He was behind, so I can't shoot. I was basically, don't worry, That's I'm not the shooting. That's the bluntest way to say it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But, but some of the words, I don't care, came out. But what I was trying to articulate is that, don't worry, I'm not shooting. <laughs> and so It's like a nice way, like, oh, I'm, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I listened back to it, and I, I, I was like, well, I have his antlers, so if you want to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did say that, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. 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 Uh, those are high. Those are intense moments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of pressure. Politeness goes out the yes, window. Yes. There was no thinking. Just, no uh, common courtesy in that moment. No, just base animal mark is what yeah. you got. Yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, he didn't go out that way. He stopped. Tony wouldn't talk to me. Like turned this. around. <laughs> no. <laughs> he turned around, came back the way he sort of came, but cut closer, and walked out from behind the oak tree the direction we wanted him to right to 20 yards, 15 yards, something like that. And perfect. I mean, I, I drew back as he started coming through. As soon as he stepped out from behind the branches, I just kind of gave him a, lot, a little quiet, stopped him and let her rip. And it was just about where I wanted it, maybe a, an inch or two farther back than I wanted. I wanted it to be kind of center lungs and it was back lung. And, uh, and he went tearing off. And to make a long story short, we pulled out for a ways, waited until Tony was done hunting, all came back, and he didn't run, I don't know, 60 yards, yeah. 70 yards, something Not like that. A short one. Short, wonderful track job, just the way you want it. And just like that, my season went from being what had felt like one of my most frustrating, and it had just seemed like everything I've been doing, it just kept having weird things happening and tough hunts and from Idaho to Ohio to this long thing I've been doing in Michigan. It's been frustrating in a lot of ways. But I kept reminding him, kept having the same like internal talk, like it can change in a second, mm -hmm. any damn time now. Just like stay out there, stay positive, keep at it, it will change. Mm -hmm. And then just like that, when you least expect it, kind of, it it does. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, that was how we killed the first buck in 2020 on the back 40. Yeah. Second, second buck. Sorry, my dad buck. killed one. Mm -hmm. We're having a hell of a season in the back 40. Yeah. It's been a new year. <clears throat> it's been a new year. So... I don't know. Any final thoughts? It was awesome. I had a blast. I'm really glad you guys are all out here with me. 
Tony, getting your perspective on the property and how you would hunt it and your thoughts. It's, it's awesome. I've always enjoyed learning from you. And, uh, you know, now you better understand my weirdness, which, <laughs> I think is a, which is a good thing. Charlie, Justin, I want you guys to know how much I appreciate you dealing with all of my idiosyncrasies, working your tail off out here, being out here early, staying out late, being here in the crazy hot summer when we were working, getting here as early as I make you get here in the mornings for these morning hunts. So, so we, we can sleep on the tree. Stand, yeah. Yeah, going, yeah, it's always good to sleep in the tree stand before daylight. That <laughs> means you connect to it. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. were in there earlier. Yeah. Anybody listening to this, we Charlie and I had this conversation this morning because we... We've been getting in there after we finally told you no more Mark. Like, no, no more Mark setting the schedule. We've still been getting in there like an hour and 15 minutes early and just sitting there. And I was like, I'm doing the math this morning. I was like, Mark had us in here like two hours before first light. <laughs> like, this is terrible. Well, yeah, it was because we were, what was that? Which was the very first night, yeah. first day we did two hours. Yeah. I think that was because, I mean, that was excessive. I realized that. Yes. Um, I, have like, no excuse. I, I should have just brought my bivy set up and just slept under my tree. Yeah. I just kept looking at the ground. I was like, man, but, I just but love to, to be it. fair, like we have so much crap. We have to get set up in these trees mm-hmm. yeah. and double sets, camera gear. And it's nice to have history. Time. The, wor- the worst thing you want is to be there and it's like 20 minutes before sure. daylight and there's deer moving all around you and you're spooking them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to my entire philosophy of the deer hunting, as we've discussed, which is I overdo everything. I overthink everything. I, I'm doubly careful I try to be perfectionist to the T and it results in all the stupid stuff you have to deal with. Well, you're, I mean, you're erring on the side of caution there and you yeah. see this with people when you do this enough, if you're rushing, you suck. Like mm-hmm. you, you're making mistakes. And so, yeah, I mean, getting in 17 hours too early is stupid, but like <laughs> a nice happy yeah. medium. See, <laughs> I, I, an, uh, an hour is what I usually like. Yeah. Yeah. With cameraman, yeah, I, think you, I, yeah. I overdid it. That, <clears throat> that first morning, Charlie and I were sitting there and I was like, Jesus Christ, like, when is it going to get lighter? Like, you know how it is, like, you, you you zone out for a while, you maybe, like, conk out for a little bit, and you, like, look over to the uh-huh. east, you're like, there should be, like, a little bit of pink yet, and it is just nighttime sky. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the longest I've ever sat in the dark out here waiting. Uh, yeah. We were sitting yeah. there so long this morning, I was, like, looking at the moon. I was like, the moon has to go a long way before it even starts getting to the where the sun comes up. I had a spot picked out. <laughs> Yeah. Charlie's a stargazer, yeah. man. <laughs> that's, that's he'll talk to you about stars for a long time. <laughs> it's a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> well, there you go, guys. <laughs> Thank you all for joining. Thanks again to all three of you. And uh, two things. I'll tell you, number one, make sure you are checking out the Back 40 Season 2, which just launched on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. The first episode launched this past Sunday. The second episode will be coming out in just a couple days. If you want to see how we got to this point, where we're seeing a lot more deer than we saw last year, where we've now shot a really nice buck. We saw three shooters. We forgot to mention I saw another shooter today, Mm -hmm. too, um, that day. Um, Check it out. Episode 1 now. Otherwise, best of luck out there in the woods. Shoot straight. And yeah, you got to grind it out. Yeah, you got to put in the time, work hard, be smart, do all these things we talked about. But the most important thing is have fun. This thing's supposed to be what we love, what we enjoy, what we look forward to all year. Do not let your obsession with the goal, like I sometimes do, get in the way of that. Have a blast. Thanks for listening. And stay wired to hunt. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop. 
that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.